0: Welcome, friends, to this experiment in audio that I call Grown Up. Basically, it's my way of convincing cool people with interesting work and life stories to chat with me for an hour, even though I always tell them before that it's only going to take 30 minutes. On today's show, hustle and heart personified in a man who will inspire you to get up off your couch and create something, to take that photo, to write that poetic tweet, publish that YouTube video you made and are hiding on the back of a hard drive because you, quote, don't think you're ready, but really it's because you don't think it's good enough. Our goal today is to prove to you that you're wrong. Let's get into it.
1: I remember growing up, all I wanted was to be a grown up, now I'm grown up.
0: You know, sometimes you set out to do an interview and the person is just so interesting that instead it becomes a conversation. You forget there's a microphone and a recording device and you dig in. Well, for today's grown-up guest, I think I asked a total of about two or three questions and then the rest is just free flow. And let me tell you, that's the best kind of, quote, interview. Gadgin Balin. Get ready for this list, is a social media manager and content producer for Canadian camera and electronics retailer Henry's. He's a YouTuber, he's a podcaster, he's a photographer and a beautiful one, a videographer, he's a workshop leader, he's a dad, and he's maybe one of the most driven people I've ever met in my entire life. This work ethic, my word, it is next level, folks. Also, I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but the detail and clarity in his Zoom video is crystal perfectly clear. Gadjan, please tell me how to do this YouTube tutorial. Especially if you're a photographer, so let's talk content creation. Traveler.
1: Talk to people where you can. Give value where you can. Listen to their stories. These are simple things that don't cost us anything and can make a profound, positive impact in someone else's life.
0: On Gadget's YouTube channel, he connects with other creators by reviewing photo and video equipment, documenting his travels around the world, sharing tips and tricks, and interviewing other creatives about their passion for their work.
1: Good morning, everyone. Gadget here for another episode of Controlled Chaos. This is where I sit down with content creators.
0: On his podcast, he and his co-hosts are talking everything from sports to inside content creation to marketing to growing up in Tamil culture in Canada. I'll link to all his different podcasts in the show notes. There's something there for everyone. Okay, and cue the fake camera shutter noise. Thank you. In his photography, he captures real raw moments, high fashion portraits, stunning video. His company, Bokeh Blink, also just launched its first print shop so you can order beautiful prints of some of his favorite shots. Mine is on the way. And folks, that's just scratching the surface of this ice rink of uber talent. Here's Gadgin.
1: Hi, my name's Gadgin, and I'm a content creator. When I was a kid, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to be. I was often attracted to many different things, and it changed as often the seasons changed. Now I'm a content creator. I make pieces of art and videos and pictures and podcasts for the internet with the goal of sharing that with as many people as possible and inspire them to create, whether that's through my day job at Henry's or in my private life and what I do outside of my day job. The day-to-day in what I do is very dynamic, I guess you can say is the best word, where I schedule things, I task certain things, but there's always a good amount of creating something or moving a project toward its finish line. Uh, Very seldom do I start and begin a piece of art in the same day. Um, I'm also interacting with people online on social media through my day job and making sure that they are being heard and that we're helping people as much as possible there. Uh, And there's a good amount of me investing in myself. And when I say that, it is through research. It is through tutorials, uh, it is through me sort of confronting any um, truths that I think I might have, uh, to to put lightly, uh, but really finding a way every single day to invest in myself.
0: And now, a 30 second history of the job. And maybe I'll actually hit it this time because this one's new. As in, the job as it currently stands wasn't a job when I was a kid. So how lengthy could this be? Content creation was kind of always part of modern-day marketing, and maybe some clarity here for those of you who don't live in a marketing world. Content marketing speaks specifically to marketing that actually relies on an audience to engage with it. It's not the advertising to sell products. It's the content marketing to offer a solution. For example, it's not the John Deere ad in a magazine. It's the actual magazine launched by John Deere as a resource for farmers. So let's start there. In 1885, John Deere launches The Furrow, a magazine providing advice and information to farmers who are looking to improve their business and drive profit. The magazine's outward purpose is not to sell, 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 sell John Deere equipment. Instead, it's about cementing John Deere as the experts in their field by building trust and offering real resources that resonate. In the years that follow, publications like The Michelin Guide or Jell-O releasing free booklets of, quote, bestseller recipes for making Jell-O dishes all count as content marketing. The list goes on. Then, in the 1920s, radio makes it possible to create content for consumers with airtime created by brands and broadcast over the airwaves. Department stores, soap brands, you name it.
1: Today, let's listen in on a couple of young housewives talking over the back fence.
0: Say, that's a mighty white washer hanging out. You're using one of those new suds I've been hearing about? Something even better. I'm using deep cleaning Oxidol. The 50s and 60s bring the Mad Men era of advertising that really mostly focuses on like that advertising to sell products rather than content marketing to sell solutions. So we take a wee break on content creation for a little bit. And then TVs arrived in most homes across North America by the 60s and 70s, making content marketing hot again with big brands who can interact with consumers in a brand new way, in a branded way. And then the 1990s. Who didn't love the 1990s? With the emergence of the digital age and the internet, first we get blogs side note, blog actually becomes a word in 1999. Then, social networks. Twitter, then Facebook, then YouTube, then Instagram. And the need for content and the audience drooling for it grows and grows and really has never stopped. Content marketers and social media for businesses start as a neighbor's niece who's still in high school but can post for your small business in her spare time, to full-blown social media managers who spend all day creating strategies, laser pointer targeting online audiences, and poring over analytics, and now in some cases, full departments of social media marketers. Last but definitely not least, we get capital I Influencers. Flipping content marketing for brands on its head by making themselves the brand and growing that brand with strong creative content online, where quality really matters over quantity. And that, my friends, is how we get to Gajan Balan, creating quality content since, well, I'm pretty sure just birth. Please enjoy this conversation about how you go from getting a kinesiology degree to making YouTube videos. I am such a stickler for in-person interviews. But I'll say this is my first interview for the podcast, not sitting across from someone. But I feel like your crystal clear video. Really it it
1: makes <laughs> the difference. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you.
0: Leave it to the photographer to have beautiful video for us. I,
1: I feel exactly <laughs> the same. That's why I'm like, I made the effort to get the lighting right, to even accent the lights in the back. You know, I, I, got, I got you covered.
0: I love it. And it's like a purpley, it's almost like a... Color pulled right out of my podcast artwork, so I really, really There you
1: sure. go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Always on brand. <laughs>
0: okay. Listen, you know brand, I feel like, better than most people. <laughs> so let's talk about brand. I mean, is brand super important? Like, are you thinking about your brand all the time? Like, I, I don't think a lot of people – you're in kind of a unique position where I don't think a lot of people – ever really have to think about their personal yes. brand unless they have a business that's kind of branded by them but i feel like almost in everything you do like the stuff you do for your work at henry's the stuff that you do in youtube and podcasting like what are you thinking about uh, or how do you come up with a personal brand and decide you know how that that carries through
1: yeah i mean sometimes it's an uncomfortable subject to talk about you know your personal brand if you're a content creator or looking to get into the world of content creation i start with you know where i want to be decades from now and sort of my ultimate purpose. And if it is to share creativity and empower other people uh, to to be creative and to explore creativity and find fulfillment in that, because I believe they will, um, I need to bring a level of seriousness and respect to my brand because a lot of it, you know, for the benefit of it or, you know, to the detriment relies on that brand. When people look at my content, what I produce, how I speak in a public forum, how I carry myself, that you know, fortunately or otherwise will impact someone else's willingness to go and create and, and act on the things that I'm sharing, right? Uh, or to be motivated by the things that I'm sharing. So I'm thinking about my brand way more than most people and a lot more strategically than I will ever talk about publicly. And maybe, you know, years down the line, I will talk about it and share uh, sort of my systems around it. But I fundamentally believe that anytime that I'm in front of a camera or I'm doing a talk uh, or leading a workshop, or even in my day job, jumping on the Instagram stories, or responding to uh, a customer that's not happy. I it's my face that is there, and there are ramifications to whatever I do, and I need to bring a level of coherence and respect to that exchange. Uh, because if I expect to do what I want to do and, and and sort of live out my dreams, uh, you need that level of respect, right? You need to be able to approach your audience and the people you're hoping to make your audience, um, you need to approach them with that level of of seriousness.
0: You know, and I think that's something that people miss a lot. I think this kind of like YouTuber, people who don't understand that world are just kind of thinking people are like, you know, setting up a camera on a tripod and just talking and then they become famous YouTubers. And it's, and I think it's so much more meticulous than that, than people mm-hmm. realize, I think you're in an interesting position where you're a content creator whose goal is to kind of, is to help other people become content creators.
1: Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah.
0: I mean, in everything you're doing with your YouTube channel, with uh, most of your podcasts, like you're you're always, like you say, you're always encouraging other people to figure out how they're going to create the content they create. It's kind of meta in a way. Yeah. But um, how is that for you? Because I think for a lot of people in the work that they do, they're thinking about like, being better than their competition. And you're almost kind of like helping foster your competition in in some way. Of course,
1: of course. I mean, if if, if I can make the people around me uh, whether, however many degrees of separation they are, but if I can make the people around me better at what they are, I fundamentally gain from that because my competition has now gone that much better that I am forced to innovate and iterate at a higher clip than I originally was right for example if you look at youtube videos now from premier creators versus what they were 5 years ago or let's just even say 13 years ago when i first made a youtube video it is such a higher bar that you are forced to put out a better product and what is wrong with that what is wrong with being challenged to be better than what you originally went in as i think there's there's only much to be gained from that so you know this is as much as i want to help people i see the value in helping you know the people that might be considered my competition, making them better and indirectly forcing myself to be better.
0: I like that. Okay. Let's, let's like scroll back to childhood. You're saying you kind of said you didn't really know what you wanted to do. And it kind of, I feel like it worked out because even if you had been able to iterate this job that you do as a kid, Mm -hmm. it actually didn't even exist when you were a kid. Yeah. Right. Like content, other than maybe like writer for a magazine or, you know, creating something for the TV, like content creator, as we talk about it now, was not a thing when we were kids. As a kid, are you kind of like trying on hats or do you feel like you were forced to come up with something or was it was it OK with the people around you that you uh, that you didn't really know?
1: That The idea of career and what to do for a living, there's sort of like at least right now three uh, three acts to this right now. There was before high school. There was like that high school, university phase, and then after that. Uh, you know, while I was in elementary school, you know, as kindergarten, the memories that stick out, and I'm looking back, and even in preparation for this interview, I thought back, and it was never uh, communicated to me that, you know, from my parents or otherwise, you should go and do this. It was more about the work ethic, and I I owe a debt of gratitude for that. And even if. You know, I don't see eye to eye with some family members. I still uh, consider how much value they imparted at that time in my life that the work ethic matters. You know, my parents coming here as immigrants uh, in '86, being and me lucky enough to be born here and to you know have that privilege that I have that most people don't have. Uh, and again, in a place like you know Toronto, nonetheless for them, it was about work ethic, that you have been given so much that many of us don't have. And there are many of us that aren't even alive now because of what we've been through back home that you need to put in the work that, you know what, we're going to be working a couple of jobs and you're going to be home alone. So don't set the place on fire, figure out how to cook for yourself and, you know, and pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And I am so indebted to that <laughs> upbringing. Right? And at that age, that's where I was kind of thinking, like, what do I want to be? And I remember a few things that stuck out to me is like, there's a point in my life where I'm like, oh man, I would love to be a fireman or a police officer. And I think every kid kind of goes through that, right? Because you view them as a figure of authority, as someone that is there to benefit the community, and there's an intrinsic value there, right? And then as I sort of, you know, moved up in grades, I like drawing a lot. I love sketching. And I thought, well, what can I do with this? And I'm like, I remember feeling shame at that age of like, well, I can't be a comic book artist or a painter because I don't think uh, I don't think my parents would be happy with that. So what can I do that would make them proud? And architects stood out to me. I'm like, man, if I could design like cool buildings and and build uh, houses back home, like how proud would they be? Um, so that, that, those two were the ones that really stood out, you know, when I was looking at a young age what I wanted to be. And then moving on to high school, everything changed.
0: <laughs> Doesn't it always? Isn't that what high school is for?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> so you didn't you didn't feel any pressure to be one kind of specific thing or another, right? Like there's lots of there's lots of kids who's like parents or lawyers or teachers and it's like, well, you you gotta be lawyer or teacher. That's it, right? Right. right. Like did you, you kind of talk about like, you know, thinking of certain things that would make your parents proud. Was there a line there? Like what what was that line? Like more towards the creative arts side is where they're not kind of, you're like out of your parents' territory. Like where, what kind of things are you thinking as a kid? Like that's, that's what would make them proud.
1: It was always balancing uh, the concept of, fine and I didn't know the words at the time, but this idea of financial freedom uh, for my loved ones with what I wanted to do. And at that time, I just didn't see a real way to make that happen, even though I would dream about it, right? And um, that's what led me to high school. And, and, you know, about the time I'm in high school, my parents are not working, you know, the three, the two and a half jobs and doing these pickup shit. They have a little bit more time, you know, life is stabilized a little bit. Um, and so they have more time to pay attention to their kids, me and my brother. And, you know, in that, you look at our community and a lot of us had that similar situation. And now parents are looking at other kids and what they're doing. And, Um, I was, because of the work ethic, I was kind of just good at school. Like I just knew how to play the game. I knew, you know, my kid, my parents put me in, um, with a tutor at a young age. I was used to, you know, studying above my grade level during the summers. (laughs) And then school was boring for me because I would go to these math and English classes and I would do the work. And then like, I'd be just waiting. And, and every parent teacher interview from grade one to grade 12, without a joke, the teacher would request, at least one teacher, usually multiple, would request my parents to come in because they would say, the grades are great, but your son keeps talking and disturbing the other kids. (laughs) He won't stop talking. (laughs) I have to move him to the front of the class. And it was just, it was because I just knew the stuff already, right? Um, And anything I didn't find interesting, if I got bad grades, it's because I didn't want to. I just didn't see the value in it. Like calculus, the first time around, I'm like, I'm good at math, but this shit is really boring. I got like a 65 and then I'm like, wait, I need calculus for this. So I went to summer school and got a 98 and my parents were like, why didn't you just do this the first time? I'm like, I I don't know. It didn't feel important to me. So
0: You're like, I had too much to say.
1: Yeah. And um, (laughs) it was around high school that my parents are like, being a doctor is the ultimate good you can do being who you are. That if you go and you study and you apply yourself and you take your gifts that you've developed, the skills you've developed, and you pursue a career in medicine, that would make us incredibly proud. And they started speaking that language, you know, from high school, university.
0: So what do your parents do?
1: My- <laughs> Or what
0: did they do when you were growing up? It, it
1: was factory jobs and moving up that, you know, foreman, supervisor in, in factory jobs. They, you know, my, my father- uh, before, you know, he came here, he worked on a Greek ship <laughs> um, and he speaks fluent Greek and he even speaks a few other languages, which is, I always found that cool. And the, I think maybe I got the travel bug from him and his stories. Uh, my mom was incredibly smart, you know, back home and, you know, top of her class, but came here. And in their eyes, this is their solution was, let we give up everything we have and let's just invest everything in our kids. And for them, it was just working these, uh, jobs, these factory jobs that were, you know, some would argue even torturous at the times. And it is it is because of that I get to live, you know, really the benefits I live right now.
0: Yeah, man, what a way to learn hard work is to just watch your parents in action, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. And again, I, I remember those summers of, you know, we, we were out from school and my Parents would be working and it would be me and my brother and it would just be us alone. It was a simpler time, some would argue, but, you know, uh, living at King and Dufferin in Toronto and then walking to, you know, making breakfast for my brother. And we were, again, like grade four and then like however old he was. um, And then walking to the library and spending hours there just to keep ourselves busy and then walking back home. Um, And I look back at that quite fondly that, you know, their sort of conscious or unconscious decisions have cultivated the right skills for me to kind of navigate this life as an adult.
0: For sure, well, it's funny. I'd I'd say two things that as an adult I really um value are one the ability to work hard and two the ability to be independent. And I think those two things together, man, like if I can raise my kid and she can have those two things installed, like at the same time, I feel like that's just like right there. You're set up for success if you can be independent, act on your own, come up with things, work hard. Like, I mean, what else could you ask for? And, and this, I, I,
1: again, I share that. I mean, I I hope that my son sees that, and he's he's four, and and I know that the habits and the and the conditions that he kind of formulates now will dictate. You know, if we're talking behavioral psychology, will dictate his, how he navigates the world in his adulthood. So. I hope he's absorbing that. I see sometimes he's absorbing that and, you know, me being in the office and working and he knows that I travel for work and all those kinds of things. And he's very receptive to direction. So I I hope that, you know, the generation after us, people like us, um, they see this sort of fluidity to how we approach our careers and they weigh more about work ethic and following your dreams and making a purpose beyond just your ego uh, as really the guiding forces.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's it's such a I feel like once you have kids, it's like, (laughs) all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I really have to like get my stuff together and figure out what am I imprinting on them. And then, (laughs) yeah, just trust that they're gonna like go into the world and, and do do the right thing and work hard. Right. But what do you think it was about a doctor specifically that interested your parents? Like, I mean in your community what is a doc like is is that an a, an important job to have or what is it is it about doctor that is drawing them towards
1: yeah. that's the ultimate um- You know, I've never had that conversation with them directly, so I don't want to put words in their mouth. Everything I say is really just me interpreting. Um, But in the South Asian community, the role of a doctor, of an engineer, of a lawyer, these, you know, typical roles are just met with a higher degree of prestige because of the effort required uh, to get there. And it, it is sort of this, it's considered this sort of elite class And because of the prestige that the roles themselves have, right, that the the respect that a doctor would get or a lawyer would get or an engineer would get, you know, uh, historically speaking, uh, it is because of that. And, you know, we come from a society, South Asian communities can resonate with this, but a caste-based system where depending on where you're born, who you're born, automatically dictates, you know, how you're treated. That still in the world, it is not as prevalent as it used to be, but still in the world, There are people that are considered untouchables. And because of that, they cannot work or aspire to do certain jobs. Uh, And there are people that are born into uh, families that are typically fishermen. And so you have to go and become a fisherman. And that's, you can't aim higher than that. And I live in a privilege because of where my parents were born that we had more freedoms. And, but because of that, when all these things are happening and people start to emigrate and move out to other uh, countries, and you know the Tamil community, our diaspora kind of setting roots in other countries, you kind of have this little bit of a reset. We're like, wait a minute, we kind of escape this caste system, and we can work hard and and really create a new life for ourselves. But that's also if you look at the people, you know, such as my parents are born into a, a higher class that were born into a, you know, what would consider a good class, they feel a sense of competition, like, whoa, 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 we are our, our kids got to make sure that they work because, you know, we can't let these other people get better than us. And that's where the comparisons come into play. And like, look at this, what this family is doing. And look at what that family is doing. And so much of what I do is trying to destabilize that. And I know a ton of people that are doing it better than me and, you know, even to a much higher degree than me, but to let's destabilize this idea that you're born into a cast that you sort of owe it to the system. You know what I mean? Um, But I think to kind of put it simply, I think for them, it was about the prestige, the respect Um, the job security that in their eyes, that if you are a doctor, you always have a job. Uh, If you are an engineer or if you can solve problems, you always have a job. Uh, I think it was more about that. You know, when you say you want the best for your kids, you interpret it through your own lens on what the best is. That's how you measure it. That's that's all you know, right? Um, And for them, it was that.
0: Okay, so when you're in high school, is doctor even something that you feel drawn to?
1: I feel attracted to it because I see the, the the micro success I'm having in education. And I feel like, well, if I just scale this across 10 years, then I guess I'll have a job. I'll have good money. I can, I'll ha- like, I just, I just, <laughs> it was, it's, I hate to say it, but it just felt easy. Like, you know, I, I'm so naive at that age where I'm like, yeah, just work hard, study hard, become a doctor and done and done. And I didn't consider for a long time, Truly, what made me happy, I was so driven by what can I do for my parents and what and and as a result, do for my community and later in high school and you know in the first couple of years of university, I'm like, man, it' would be amazing to kind of become that doctor and go back home and give value back you know in a more direct way um, but it, it was it was jaded. it was always like, <laughs> yeah, just take your work ethic and you know compound that over ten years and you 're good." <laughs> You're listening to Grown Up with Avery moore Klaus. So
0: what's your degree in?
1: Uh, It's a specialized honors degree in kinesiology and health science, which is just a fancy way of saying I went to university for five years and and got grades that are B plus or higher, and I should know some stuff about that. (laughs) (laughs) And do you? (laughs) I know a good amount when it comes to me. Me, I, I... my memory—I I have very tough times recalling things if they're not fundamentally important to me. I like—I'll forget—I'll forget names very easily more than the average person. Um, I'll remember some bits and pieces from certain courses, but it's not until something kind of strikes that to me, like I witness something, I'm like, oh right, like we studied that in you know intro to calculus or we studied that in our advanced statistics class, like. I'm not one of those people that can just kind of start rhyming off these things if someone asks me for nutritional advice or, you know, how I should go about my day.
0: But you know what? I'm a big fan of believing that no matter what, whatever you take in school, even if you don't end up doing that, it's it's always finds a way to be applicable somehow. Mm, yes. Like, you know, I've and, and people I've talked to for the podcast, you know, they take all sorts of different things in school that they don't end up doing. And they're like, well, I guess that was a waste. And I always say it, like, it's not a waste. Yeah. No matter what you do, you're building on some kind of foundation and that's what makes you unique. So like you come from kinesiology and now you're a content creator. Like I'm sure that there are ways that your education in that ends up like bleeding its way into what you do. Right.
1: Of course. Of course. I mean, I, at that time I just decided I'm like, I'm going to finish this degree and I don't, I don't, I don't lose sleep over right, wrong, or, you know, should I switch to another major? I just said that at that time, I'm going to finish this degree. I'm going to prove to people that I can do this, give that $30,000 piece of paper to my parents, and then figure out what I really want to do. And I look back and I am so glad that I went through that experience because being expected to work at that, you know, that was an intense program. And, you know, people like to sort of attribute, you know, this university is more prestigious than this and blah, blah, blah. I lived it and all I know is that is one of the most demanding programs from their students, that you are expected to not only meet a certain grade level, you're expected to take these courses that have no effect on your GPA, like soccer, a team sport, not soccer, but like a team sport, an individual sport, a dance class. Um, you ha- you're expected to do like 30 of these, they called it Pekin courses, that you need to complete And that's the only way you get your diploma. On top of already doing your workload, on top of a part-time job, on top of studying and trying to meet these grade requirements, and then, you know, you're studying subject matter like advanced, you know, uh, cardiology or uh, epidemiology or physiology, physiology one, physiology two, anatomy one, anatomy two, and then... Uh, And then you also have to dabble in other things as most university degrees, You know, studying political science, uh, studying, I took Bollywood music because I'm like, I think I can ace this. And I'm like, why is this so hard?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's like me in film class. I was like, I like movies. Yes. I I can take an intro to film and I hated every second of it.
1: Yeah. And it was
0: not the movies I wanted to watch.
1: I know, I'm telling you. And I, I am so glad that I stuck through it because it taught me this work ethic. And I remember thinking that if I can do this at something I don't love, imagine how fucking good I'd be at something I do love, <laughs> right?
0: Oh, my gosh. And, man, I'll tell you, like, I don't know how you do all the things you do. Like, once I started <laughs> to, like, creep deeper into the gadget like universe, I realized how much stuff you do, and I do not know how you do it. And to have a four-year-old on top of that, like, man, I I feel that. Um,
1: (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So,
0: and we'll talk about all the different things you do, but how do you, so how do you go from, you graduate with kinesiology through school, you're working at Best Buy. So you're getting kind of like an intro into maybe camera equipment and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, while you're working there, what, what happens? How do you go from there to where you are now?
1: Uh, As soon as I graduated, I went on this six week uh, world trip, uh, visiting fam- family all over the world. So I have family in Europe, I have family in India and Sri Lanka, and you know my parents. You know there's a wedding happening, and they say, hey, why don't you just take more time and visit all these people? Um, they, I, I look back and I'm like, my father must have been so proud of me graduating, and he couldn't wait to let the world know that my son is on his track to become a doctor. Um, that I'm gonna send him to every one of my siblings <laughs> in Germany, in France, in in London. And I look back and I'm like, that's exactly what he did. Because I went for six weeks, went to India, went to Sri Lanka. Uh, I, I got a real nasty, nasty bug in India that almost, you know, it put me in a hospital. I lost about, you know, 15 pounds and yeah. Oh um, and I remember visiting family and kind of like them all being just like, oh, we, our da- your dad told us this, your dad told us this. I'm like, oh boy, um, <laughs> if you only knew. And, uh, you know, long story short, I came back and I'm like, okay, how can I approach this i'm not even sure what i want to do but i think i want to be a photographer i think I, that's like going down pulling on that thread will lead me in the right direction so i thought okay let me, best buy has amazing benefits i'm doing good at it i'm just great at talking to people my numbers are crushing it what if i just kind of focused on this build some you know financial stability and then you know get that house, get that wife, get that kid, like kind of get that solidified. So the parents are like satisfied, quote unquote, you know, kind of tick those boxes. And then once you kind of establish that in the undercurrent of all this, build that little empire, right? Where I go and develop this photography business and start doing photo shoots and start whatever may become. And then eventually supplant that full-time job at Best Buy. And what ended up happening is I looked at concert photography because I loved hip hop and, you know, we shot Kid Cudi and he brought out Drake before Drake even had an album and the Wu-Tang Clan. And, you know, we saw all these amazing artists back in 2008, 2009, before they were as big as they were now. And it was so good, but the money just wasn't there. The industry wasn't as mature as it is now. Uh, And then wedding photography, that's, you know, really where the money was. So I went into wedding photography, made a great business. Allows me to live kind of the life I have now because of how early I got into it. And I just realized, fuck, I hate shooting weddings. This was like four or five years ago. And um, I'm still working at Best Buy at this time, right? And I kind of realized I gotta I gotta be a little bit more honest with myself. I can't be just guided by uh, finan- finance. I can't just be guided by, you know, a certain bank account number. And it wasn't until 2016 that I fundamentally kind of changed and and confronted who I was. And I kind of had this purpose of like, okay, what if, if I wanted to change the world, if there was like really fulfillment there, how would I approach that? And for me, it's like, well, if I can make a living creating content that I want to make, truly that I want to make, that it's not a bride or a groom or what they expect, what I want to make, how would that start? And I thought, okay, I need to get a job as as great as amazing as Best Buy was and how quickly I climbed it and what they afforded to me uh, and being able to travel across Canada with them. Like they, they gave me so much. I realized like that wasn't the right job. I, I've maximized that potential there. I've kind of hit that ceiling. I need to be in a place either that is easier in the sense that it's a nine to five. I go in, I'm in front of a computer, do my shit and get out where there isn't that sort of burden of like working on weekends and evenings and talking to people. Or find a job that will allow me to cultivate the skills to my long-term goal. And I remember getting, and, and again, I'm going through this process, applying for jobs. And uh, it was between Henry's and an ADP, which is a payroll company. Oh, <laughs> it was yeah. I remember, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're aware of uh, ADP.
0: Yeah, I've seen it on a check before.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, there's a good chance. I mean, my check from Best Buy was ADP at the time. <laughs> I remember our HR manager, who, who, you know, she's still here. She's a director of HR now. Um, her calling me is like, hey, can you let us know? Like, and I'm like, I'll let you know Monday. And I was just deciding between these two decisions. And I, you know, ADP, which was like way more benefits, at the time, better pay. And a level of comfort and security because of how huge they are, uh, or this sort of like even at the time in twenty seventeen, uh, a small medium sized business, um, privately owned, uh, not the same benefits, and really doesn't have that brand awareness as it used to. And I told myself I, I just rolled the dice. I'm like, you know what, I got to just invest in myself as much as possible. And I think Henry's lines up with that as much as possible. And I went into Henry's as the national sales training manager. So my role wasn't in marketing. I didn't go to school for marketing. Uh, It was training and development. And I was quickly in charge of building the training and development strategy for all our employees across Canada. Um, I got to build, I got to move their online training system to a new cloud-based system that you can do from anywhere. I was proud of that. And all throughout that, I was like, "I'm gonna get my foot in the door in marketing. I'm gonna get a job in marketing, and I'm gonna find a way to turn this awesome job at Henry's into my dream job, and do it through, you know, my my work ethic."
0: And hey, you did it! Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so good on you. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people get really stuck in their minds of like, okay, I don't have. I didn't go to school for marketing. So like who am I to apply for a marketing job? Or who am yeah. I to like be in the marketing department? Yeah. And I think the people who end up doing so well in roles like that are the people who didn't go to school for that often. Mm-hmm. Right. They're coming with a different background. They're coming with fresh eyes. They don't necessarily know the, you know, like this, the specific strategy that you're supposed to know or mm. or you know, those kind of things that you learn in school. But Often it's like the people who have work ethic, the people who can work independently, that don't need you to handhold them yeah. and have a passion for it, end up being the people in marketing that do really well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which I think is why a lot of content creators, just like even indies, like, you know, Instagram, YouTube, all that kind of stuff, same thing. It's not like, you know, a really successful YouTuber went to school for video production. Yeah. It's that they can work independently. They can work hard. They know what, they know the message they want to get out there and it works.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and really, uh, just to echo that, I mean, if I'm someone, if I'm a hiring manager, I'd like to sort of approach it like this. But if you showed me that you built, you know, this business, for example, this fucking $1 million business, uh, and I have another candidate that built also a $1 million business, uh, but they started with a lot less. They started with more limitation. They did not have access. I find that so much more valuable. I find so much insight in that, that you know, being boxed in and against those odds that you were able to build a sort of level of success. Like that is so attractive to me. And part of, you know, our podcast, I think I love hearing those stories too, right?
0: I feel like it's just like career resiliency.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right?
0: I would agree. Like, who's the candidate that's faced the most challenges and, you know, like smoothed them over? Yeah. Right. That's a skill you cannot teach. You cannot teach someone to be a resilient person and to grind through it and and like hustle hard. And I can't teach that.
1: I love the word resilience, and you know, I wonder if people think in this way. But like, when I think or visualize certain things and like metaphors, like I just think about you know bamboo trees or like trees that just have this sort of bend to them that when the winds are blowing and really, really hard, that they are just sort of effortlessly bending and adjusting, right? And, you know, Bruce Lee talked about, um, you know, to to be the cup, to be the water that fills the cup. The the water doesn't decide, right? It just fills whatever container you put it in. And there's so much power in that, that you're not looking at the limitations. You're not sweating over the likes, the numbers, or whatever it is. You're adapting to the uh, variables around you and finding success in whatever manner you can Uh, with them.
0: Yeah. And I think even in that vein, like something I think about a lot is what I'm always trying to do is just start before I'm ready. Mm. And I think that's the same. That's in the same kind of line as resiliency, as in this idea that, like, there's so many people I think that get so caught up in, like, it's not perfect, it's not ready, um, you know, it's not the right time. And the people that I find now in this kind of content creation world who are doing really well are the people who just started and didn't yes. give a fuck and just like went yes. and said, I'm going to do. I'm just going to try it and see what happens, like throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks and I'll go with that. And that's kind of like turned into the world we live in this kind of like internet based um, world where like, you don't have to have a degree necessarily. Yes. If you are talented and you're passionate and you throw enough things at the wall, eventually something's going to stick Yes, and that's enough. Like you can make a living off the thing that sticks or the three things that stick. Right. And I think, It's so easy to get caught up, though, in the, like, oh, I can't, you know, like, I can't do it now. It's not the right time. I have another job. I don't have enough time. Like... It, that's that's all garbage now
1: yeah exactly and you know part of that is the gatekeepers uh, their power has been relinquished uh, technology has been democratized creative technology has been democratized and it hasn't been so ex- it hasn't been as accessible as it is now to get your content out there and to produce and to share and all those kinds of things but inherently like i encounter so many people whether it's you know at a workshop or just in passing that are like oh i would love to do i would love to do this and you know part of me just look at them like well uh, you're not gonna, you know what I mean? Like I might say it directly or indirectly, and it's not to be cynical or negative to, toward them, but you can, I see, I, for what I like to think is, I like to think that I can see purpose in people. And when you encounter people that have figured out what their purpose is, then you know that when they say they wanna do something or, or are going to do something, they are going to act on it. And it is a totally different energy, not to get all woo woo, but it, you can feel that exude in their speech. When they know what their purpose is. And more than anything, if people are listening and and looking to find what their career or calling is, is trying to find that purpose and being able and then, you know, we'll talk about this at length, but being able to kind of act and do things and explore mediums and that sort of thing that will ultimately decide, you know, whether you decide to put in the work or not having that purpose.
0: Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? I I, I don't know. I just I what I really like about your story, which I think a lot of people miss is I also recognize like to have the privilege to go after a job that is like within your passion. I feel like a lot of people don't have maybe the bravery for that or like they're in a job they have to keep for, you know, to pay the bills but i think that one of the things i really appreciate about your story is this idea that's like okay i figured out what my passion is what i want to do yeah. obviously you know, like it's hard to just go out independently and create something from it but if i can get a job where like you know the people around me are in this world it's like closer you know i'm i'm working a full-time job uh, where it's it's at least in the vein of what I know I want to do so that I'm you know, you're not going to work to like punch a ticket and then you're going home and spending all night on something else. Yeah, you can actually yeah. like build through your work things that are helping with the you know things that are helping push to you towards the like big dream stuff.
1: yeah,
0: I think that's such a. Interesting tactic to go after that a lot of people miss is this like, okay, if you have to have a full-time job to support the other creative content stuff you're doing, at least try and make it a job where you're inspired by the work you're doing, where it's like in the same line. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Do you feel like that's something that's repeatable for people or is it is it something now that you're doing and that you would suggest to people to do?
1: Oh, oh I apologize in advance for how much I'm going to talk at length on this idea, but I really think it's important. Um, I want to snap your fingers as you were talking just as just to kind of echo and celebrate what you're sharing. But I do this exercise with a lot of people. And if anyone ever, if I ever call myself a life coach in the future, please, please like slap me because I do not want to become <laughs> that. Uh, but that being said, I do have this exercise that I do with people. and I, I sort of share where I'm at. I defined what my purpose is. And for me, it is creativity shared in empowering other people to create because I believe it'll bring them true fulfillment and value to their lives. And when I look at what do I want to do for a living, you know, decades from now, I want to create powerful, meaningful pieces of art about my community, about my people, and look to preserve our history, our rich history, really. That's what I want to do for a living decades out. And if we look at our lives Uh, almost from the third person, almost like above our physical existence. Um, And we are the authors of our own story. And we know what the ending is. You know, we are inundated with popular media. We know what the ending is. When we have a shitty ending to a movie, we feel ripped off because we invested two and a half hours and it did not provide the value. Well, how ripped off are you going to feel when your life does not end up the way you want it to, right? So if we start with understanding, okay, What's sort of my purpose? And what do I want to do for a living decades from now? And you don't have to be right, but just be honest and confront your truths, right? Confront what you feel. And this is gonna take some deconstructing because you're gonna have to peel yourself apart. You're gonna have to question everything. You're gonna have to ask yourself why five times because if it comes back to money, to ego, to power, then you're probably on the wrong path, I would say. Once you sort of establish that, And let's just say you find out where you're at. And this took me years to figure out. Working backwards, I looked at what are the things that me, the protagonist in my story, what can I do four decades out to put me in the best position for success? And in my eyes, investing in my photography skills, investing in my video skills, uh, Placing an importance on my communication skills, which I accidentally did working a sales job, uh, working in a corporate environment and excelling, but in a place that's more related to my long-term goals, uh, not thinking that I should just go be independent right away. Let's work in the corporate side because when I get independent, I will understand the corporate side a lot better and what they value. Um exploring different mediums. So not just sticking to YouTube, not just sticking to photography, but do podcasting and do a bunch of things, right? So that you know what products work well, but you also try new things and iterate and and are forced to think differently than what you are. And having that constant student mentality that you are always thinking to yourself that, There is something to be learned. There's a lesson to be learned. And surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded in that regard, that are better than you, that are smarter than you, that they themselves are hungry for more knowledge to get better. That is how you sort of, I believe, get on this path of finding your dream job uh, in what you do.
0: Oh, I love that. Man, like you are just like on my soapbox for me. (laughs) Because I'll tell you, like when I give advice to younger people... My advice is always, and I always say, like, we need to stop asking kids what they want to be when they grow up. We need to start asking them who they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. Because if you can connect your purpose or figure out what your passion is, then no matter what you do, obviously, best case scenario, you work your way into a job where you're doing your passion every day. Yeah. But – Sometimes you have to, you know, you have to work at a drive through Yeah. How can you bring the purpose and passion that you have to the drive through And it seems so crazy, yes. right? But, yes. you know, like, I think that there's opportunities. And I think when you're a kid, a lot of the time you see like, oh, I have to do this awful job. Yes. And my advice is always, okay, how do you figure out a way in that awful job you have to do if you cannot change it? Yes. You know, one, change it if you can. Two, if you cannot change it, how can you bring that purpose to what you're doing? Right. right like, right. you know, can you, can you, if you want to tell stories and you're working at some corporate office and you're stamping papers, pitch them, say, can I start a podcast for the company? Like, mm. there's things that you can be doing always that'll push what you want to be doing anywhere. Yeah. Right. And then next step is exactly what you're saying. Like, if you can find, if you can like key in on what is that purpose, passion and then work it into your career. Like that's, that's the way to do it. And you know, that's,
1: that's funny. I mean, two things on that. The first is that when I was at Henry's and I joined them, I was like, I met with every manager of every department when I first started there and listened to them uh, and made an effort to understand what are their pain points and what are they responsible for and how can they get better. And then the second thing I did was put my hand up for things that were more in line of what I wanted to do at Henry's. So Telling the CEO, hey, instead of making like an email announcement once a month, why don't we do a video once a month? We're a camera company. We should put out a video. Uh, Putting my hands up for the marketing department, like, hey, if you're getting a product, I'll I'll make a video for it. Like, let's just make something. Why not? You're paying these agencies. You know, I can make something that's good enough to be on our YouTube channel. Uh, I think there's so much you know value in that. But on this idea of like kids, it reminds me of a study that we learned about when I was in university uh, pedagogy and early childhood development is that we... Parents will often, with you know, that are sports-minded, will take their kid and say, okay, uh, uh, honey, you, I want you to be the best golfer. I want you to be the Tiger Woods of golf, okay? And you're going to start golfing at a gr- young age. And they specialize from the young age. And so much of what we learned, just to paraphrase, is that true success, like when you look at the Sidney Crosby's of the world, the LeBron James of the world, the Michael Jordan's of the world, uh, you know, um, the Megan Rapinos of the world, uh, the Hope Solo's of the world, They built this sort of foundation and played multiple sports and they exercised uh, their kinesthetic abilities across different things and explored that. And because of that, they found out what was their true calling and specialized, but also found how they can better utilize their bodies for that sport. You know what I mean? Um, And this study goes on to say that, you know, we should question this idea of early specialization. So what does this have to do with your career? What a foolish idea to expect a child in the first, you know, eighth of their life maybe, maybe the first seventh or sixth of their life to decide what the, the, the majority of their life should look and feel like when they haven't even yet experienced enough. They haven't even uh, had enough failures under their belt. They haven't even understand their own worth and what they can give to others and impart to others. And in fact, our own environment is changing. What a foolish idea. If I told you, uh, Avery, you know what? Uh, It looks like the Toronto Raptors are playing the Lakers five years from now. Uh, Would you want to bet on that game and just put your life savings there? Because I I think the odds are pretty good if we're playing good now. (laughs) And, you know, that's what we see as parents. We're like, oh, man, my kid is such a bright toddler. He would make an amazing doctor. And what? What's such an ego-driven thing to say? And I think more than anything is to look at our child. And and by no means am I virtue signaling here, I try to be better every single day, but I'm saying how I approach this anyway is that if we can prepare our children with that resiliency to be open, to be good communicators, to be truthful, not to just others, but to themselves, to to seek out new information, to challenge their conventional thinking, Preparing them for that and building those foundational skills will allow them to specialize and specialize good at what ultimately they think they see themselves doing.
0: So true. Okay, I'm going to ask you a super cliche question, but I think you're going to have a good answer to it. <laughs> okay, so if you could go back and give, let's say like, I don't know, 13-year-old Gadget yes, advice, what would you say?
1: Um, never fear away from the truth and... And it would be something along the lines of be the ultimate truth, live out your ultimate truth uh, with yourself, with others, And, you know, give an honest response, not to hurt feelings, but give an honest response where you can. And if you cannot think of an honest, truthful response, then don't say anything at all. You know, I never think, oh, I should have done this in terms of decisions. But I think about sometimes, oh, man, it would have been great if I had a mentor at this time tell me this thing at this time. Oh, imagine how much better or far along my journey I would be. I think that would have been the greatest thing. And to hear that from someone of authority uh, from my community, I think would have been the most powerful thing that instead of seeking the truth and validity of others is to start intrinsically, you know, kind of asking myself this question and, and, and starting that earlier. I don't, I don't think people hear that enough. You know, I don't think people challenge their conventional thinking enough. I don't think people are open to challenging. I think they're afraid to find out who they really are. I think they're afraid to, you know, sort of find out the skeletons in their closet. Um, and I think that more than anything, the world needs that right now.
0: And you know what? I think that often this happens a lot. We give kids close-ended advice, Mm. right? Like based on, you know, like based on my career, here's the thing you should do. Yes. Instead of like, hey, the best advice I can give you, like you're saying is like, be open, you know, the kind of advice is like, be open to everything. Like, mm, you know, mm. look through it with your own lens and decide what to do. So, like, speak your truth. That kind of that kind of advice, I think, is what kids really need. Yeah. Instead of this yeah. advice, like, get the job that makes you the most money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I think that is often because, at least what I think it is, is because the people that are often giving this advice are trying to validate their own decisions. As opposed 100%. to- someone that may have questioned their own decisions and and lost sleep over their decisions and uh, and confronted their decisions will give you different advice, you know, because it's so of that. so true.
0: Yeah, just being vulnerable enough to give kids real advice rather than the advice that, you know, you got from a mentor one day and it yeah, worked out for you somehow. Definitely, it's, definitely. It's so true. Well, Gajan, thank you so much for doing this. I think you have such a passionate way of talking about things that there's like zero question in everything that you do that you're not being authentic. And I think that's so important when it comes to content creation, because I think like you think about YouTube and, and maybe less so podcasts, but this idea of like authenticity and content creation is often sometimes in question and everything I watch of yours, it's like completely authentic, Adjun. And I appreciate that so much about you. Thank
1: you so much. I truly appreciate you saying that. And it's something that's you know, it is like a compass for me. And for you for, to hear you say that in the short time that we got to know each other, I, I truly, truly appreciate that. And uh, it's something that is very, very important to what I do.
0: Well, I uh, will link to all of the <laughs> all of the things you do in the show notes, <laughs> so that people can check it out. But man, your photography, I don't even know what to send them to first photography, YouTube podcast,
1: you know, what? I- man,
0: the, all the things.
1: Just hit me up on Instagram. There's a link in the bio. And whatever you find appeals to you, you can go that direction, whether it's the YouTube channel, the photography, the podcast. Uh, there's a whole plethora of stuff that are targeting different audiences and different people in different times in their life. Uh, just hit me up on Instagram. Instagram is probably the best way. And whatever appeals to you, you know, enjoy. Enjoy responsibly.
0: <laughs> and if you do follow Gadget on Instagram. You will be blown away by how hard he actually works. <laughs> 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 like this work ethic thing, he's not kidding. There's, I I, uh,
1: I I worry about that sometimes. That is one of the few things that I I actually do worry about that witnessing other people work really, really hard. Some people might be prone to uh, be harder on themselves and question themselves. And I, I'm i trying to be more conscientious of that. So that's why uh, I'll, I'll mention it on your show, but doing more live streams that are more often, uh, honest and open and me talking about my process and how I work and strategies around that, I just started doing that. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, if you go to Twitch and just search Gadge and uh I do a stream about three times a month and it's just me talking about my process and just hoping to remind people that um, you you don't have to just slave away at something and you shouldn't feel insignificant because you perceive that you're not doing all these things and, and don't measure yourself to other people and just you know, measure yourself to yourself and, and look to get a little bit better each day.
0: Well, I love my process because involved interviewing you. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you again, Avery. I truly appreciate that.
0: Thank you for listening to Grown Up Friends. For more information on Gadjin and how you can follow him in all of the places, please see the show notes or hit him up on Instagram at Gajan Balan. I promise you one day you will just be able to Google the word Gadjin, and every single result will direct you towards Gajan Balan. To follow Grown Up Online, just follow me at Class, everywhere it counts. And if you want to send your friends this podcast, I'll mail you some Pop-Tarts as a thank you. Hit me up on GrownUpPod.com. And that's it. That's all. See you next time.